morning again. If you're visiting, my name is Peter, and I serve on the team, team of elders that leads the church. Today we're in week four of the gospel is for everyone. It's a study in the book of Romans alongside our sister church in Austin, Mosaic Church. Now today we come to the second half of the first chapter of the book of Romans. It's not just a an adult content warning, which it is, but a reminder of how brave we are in Christ for hard topics. Today, the content of Romans 1 brings us to God's wrath and holy anger. Now, the thing is, is it might be uncomfortable sometimes, topics like this, but don't worry because we're also breaching the subject of sexual deviance. So two extreme discomforts cancel each other out, right? Perhaps not, but listen, if you're at all nervous about things like this, you're in good company because I'm nervous too. So even now in your hearts, you can pray for me. We can, we can pray that God helps me to accurately declare his righteous and holy love and, and pray for all of us that God sanctifies our discomfort so that we can be used to love like Jesus really loves Not like people think he loves, like the right wing or the left wing counterfeit Jesus, but that we can love like him. Would you stand to your feet to honor God's word? Romans chapter 1, verses 18 all the way through 32. Here we go. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God. Or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, and birds, and animals, and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Verse 28, and since they, meaning all of us, all people in all history, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. 
They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Verse 32. Though they knew, they know, God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. The word of the Lord. Y'all can be seated as we pray. Jesus, please add a blessing to the reading of your word, which goes beyond our own inclinations. Jesus, I remember trying to be a good boy without first receiving your goodness. I remember trying to form and fashion your idea, this idea of love and holiness around my understanding and try to fit you into my box and what our culture thinks love ought to be. I was so confused. Jesus, you're not made in our image. We're made in yours. But we're fallen and we're deprived and depraved and suppressed. And we need you. So Jesus forbid that anyone here would hate you and others. All while thinking ourselves loving. Give us faith to receive your love and so to love you back and love others like you love with costs that it costs you and redemption that only you can bring for such a time as this. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Our passage here at the end of Romans chapter 1 is, I think, the most cuttingly accurate diagnosis of human sin in all of Scripture. In fact, in all of history, no one has improved upon what Paul says here. This whole process of human sin. I don't think we could. I remember reading Romans 1 in my teenage years. And I remember after having misdiagnosed my own sin and my own issues and those ambiguous apologies about my sin. And coming to Romans 1 and just feeling so uncomfortable, way too close to home, because I'm all over this chapter. I remember the peaceful pain and the painful peace as I was being converted away from my own perversion. See, not only in chapter 1 does Paul describe the painful outworkings of human sin, but more importantly, he pinpoints the root That leads to our ongoing sin condition. So I beg you, church, don't almost receive what God is saying here in this text. You're braver than that. Don't almost participate in the leading of the Holy Spirit during this sermon without letting him do his whole work in you and seeing what happens from you when you allow that. I've known liberally-minded people who claim to agree with what the Bible says here is the root of human sin, but then reject what the Bible declares here to be the outworkings of human sin. 
And I've known conservative-minded people, on the other hand, who claim to agree with what the Bible says about the outworkings of human sin, but they personally reject what God says about the root of their own sin. And so they continue to suppress the knowledge of God as they carry on with a very conservative unrighteousness. And what do both of these groups have in common? The lefties and the righties, right? They desperately need God to transform them. We, we need what the Bible calls metanoia. Turn to your neighbor and say metanoia. It's a fun word to say. It means a supernatural change of mind. We need ears to hear better than just like, oh, let me try to be uh, considerate of things that I agree with or I disagree with. No, we need metanoia. We need a supernatural change of mind. The English translation for this is repentance. We need repentance. Consider the words of Barbara Brown Taylor, a former Episcopal priest in her book, Speaking of Sin, the Lost Language of Salvation. She writes, why should we speak of iniquity or hell anymore? Abandoning the language of sin will not make sin go away. Human beings will continue to experience alienation, deformation, damnation, and death, no matter what we call them. Abandoning the language will leave us speechless before those realities and increase our denial of their presence in our lives. Ironically, it will also weaken the language of grace. Since, listen, the full impact of forgiveness cannot be felt apart from the full impact of what has been forgiven. Is that not helpful? Now, as I preach through this passage, 12 verses, who knows how long we're going to be here today. Instead, I'm going to break with a little pattern. Instead of giving two or three points or principles, I actually just want to show you one consistent progression or digression, rather, that's in our text. That involves, firstly, our exchanging something precious. And secondly, God letting us or giving us over to that exchange. So here we go. Y'all ready? You can mark this along in your own Bible. Uh, if you're following along, we're gonna, it starts out under the heading of God's wrath. Verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress or cover the truth. The next few verses, Paul goes on to explain about that which is known about God, what we've since called general revelation, how it's abundant within creation, but we cover it. We stuff it down. We suppress what we know in one way or another. So we're all, quote, without excuse. In my opinion, I think we have to do mental gymnastics to convince ourselves that we're all some sort of mathematical mistake. In other words, we have to suppress the general knowledge of God to deny the innate awareness that we have that we're created. We're intimately formed and fashioned by a personal creator. Creation reveals God's glory, the Bible says. So all creatures know of God, but that's not to say that all creatures know God, like John 17 knowledge. You see, we don't know God personally like 
special revelation. We don't have special revelation because we suppress general revelation. And so we've brought on ourselves wrath in exchange for the created splendor that we're we're designed to live with. Verse 21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became, in essence, we degenerated into something else. We became futile in our thinking, and our foolish hearts were darkened. Please don't miss this. If you don't catch this, then nothing else after this is going to make sense. Sin takes place first internally, in the heart and mind, and then it plays out externally in our behavior. Think back to Genesis 3. Adam and Eve, their first sin was not in eating the forbidden fruit. Sin took place long before that, doubting in their hearts the goodness of God, and then deciding in their minds to trust their own debased instincts over and against God's leading. That 90s song, the, listen to your heart. That, that's what happened in Genesis 3. See, listen. There's been lots of shades of this. But we can all relate. It's so, it's so easy to take Genesis 3 as if it were like some old school myth about an apple, I guess. But when you see what's really going on there, it's a little bit discomforting because we make dark internal exchanges that play out externally in our behavior. Or, as Paul says better, verse 22, claiming to be wise, they, we, became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things, or we could say pornography or magazines or Instagram models. We became fools. Now, this, this word exchanged is the first of three uses in our passage of exchanged. We decide in our hearts and minds to reject God in exchange for trusting ourselves, for trusting our own vision of what's good and true and beautiful. Two verses later, Paul essentially repeats this. Verse 25, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. Worshiped and served. See, when we exchange worshiping and and serving God, We do not go to worshiping and serving nothing. Everyone worships something. Everyone seeks glory somewhere. The next best thing besides God is that which was created in God's image. What God himself called very good. And so we reject God and we lift up the next best thing that's lacking, eternally lacking, and we worship man. Hence the dark, modern ideology, humanism. Here's the last mention of this sad exchange, verse 26. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. So we make this sad exchange that Paul keeps mentioning. But then what's God's response? How does wrath 
specifically play out? Is God's wrath seen actively like fire and floods? Well, notably, there's a few mentions of that in Genesis and other places. But don't think of God's wrath as isolated events. It's more like an ongoing endemic that is clearly described here. The most common form of wrath in response to our exchanging his glory for our evil is seen in four terrifying words here in our passage, repeated again three times. Those four words are God gave them up. Verse 24, therefore God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Verse 26, for this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Verse 28, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Now, notice again, the debased mind comes before the depraved actions. So when we're poisoned on the inside, we can only issue forth poison on the outside. And wrath is God giving us up to our own poison. These three uses of God gave them up come from one Greek word. Each time it's the Greek word paradidomai, which means to deliver over to, to deliver up, like to the the custody of a judge or to judgment First use of paradidomai is is Matthew 4. Now, when Jesus heard that John the Baptist had been arrested, paradidomai, he withdrew. We're arrested in our own internal slavery, which plays out externally. So wrath is that we exchange good for evil, even celebrating this exchange with our debased minds, And the scariest thing about God's reaction in response to this is that he'll just often let us, give us over, deliver us over to ourselves. Let us be arrested in our own poisonous passions. So we're all caught up in the cycle of history's sin. Shameful acts done against me, right, lead to suspicion and isolation. And since I've rejected God as my protector, I try to be my own self-protector. But that leaves me vulnerable to receiving and doing more shameful acts. See, we're not just talking about about isolated actions, but a cycle. I'll give you some data for this. Last several decades, there has been a financial correlation irrefutable financial correlation between pornography and child trafficking. It's not like sin is just disconnected and private, as if there were such a thing as a right to privacy. Sin is a global endemic that we're all a part of. We're all the victims, and we're all the perpetrators of this vicious, wicked cycle, because God can just choose to let us do what we want, to leave us alone. So here's the summary of Romans 1, wrath. We exchange true worship for false worship. So God delivers us over to our own falsity. And the consequences play out accordingly. I'll give you an example of how this wrath is shown. 
in a New Testament parable that you might not have seen it here, but it's right here. You know the parable of the prodigal son? We've heard this before. Do you remember that? The prodigal son, Jesus tells this story of a son who insisted before his father on receiving his inheritance early. So what did the father do? The father shows this sort of wrath by giving him his inheritance early. So the son goes out, basically given over to squander his inheritance. He has some fun. He purchases some prostitutes. He goes to some parties. And soon enough, he finds himself tasting death, literally in a pig pen. Now, there's more to this story, namely a happy ending. Just like there's more to our story, there's more to this sermon. But we need to see how wrath plays out here because Jesus is describing something just like Paul is describing. So here's a visual for you to understand wrath. Wrath is that we exchange good for evil, truth for lie, and God gives us over to it. So here we are creating hell on earth, all while celebrating how we've progressed so much as a species. And this is the essence of hearts being darkened, minds being debased, and then doing what ought not to be done. We don't have behavioral issues. We have heart issues and mind and worship and glory issues, deep sin issues. And Paul gets more specific here in how wrath plays out in sexual deviance. Now, this is just one of many illustrative examples, meaning things that illustrate how in our hearts we've rejected God One of the sins that illustrates that. So verse 26 and beyond. For God, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For the women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave themselves up to natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty of their error. Although homosexuality isn't the root issue here, nor is it the only issue in our passage, it is an undeniable and even culminating sin that naturally plays out from me rejecting the glory of God as creator. It's always been a sin. Now, homosexuality cannot and must not be disproportionately condemned by the church. Verse 18 says, For the wrath of God plays out against, is revealed against all, all unrighteousness, all of our, not their, unrighteousness. So we can't disproportionately condemn one thing. However, I think maybe the most condemning thing that we can do is to deny God's word that he's graciously given us. And to, like verse 32 mentions, to quote, give approval to those who practice such things. It's harmful to give approval to anyone who practices anything that's harmful to their soul and body and person. The word give approval in verse 32 is a Greek word meaning to applaud, to celebrate, or take pleasure in. Now I say that I think this is worse than condemning because it is condemning and deceiving at the same time. Because in our approval, which is veiled as love and tolerance, 
we're ironically promoting more wrath. How is that compassionate? Now, often if you disagree with me, you're in a good spot. Often for me to grow in God, I have to disagree with myself. But you have to ask yourself right now, if you disagree with me, are you disagreeing with God right now? What if the most loving thing to do right now is to disagree with yourself, with our culture? Now, can you think of any historical examples where the most loving and compassionate thing to do at any given time was to oppose the commonly perceived good? Today, would you choose to risk being condemned by our culture as a hateful bigot, knowing that Jesus chose to be delivered up and condemned by his culture as a blasphemer for claiming to be the son of God? Remember verse 16 last week, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation to all those who believe. And so I ask, knowing that Paul, in his culture, had to defy so much shame, and it cost him, what has the gospel cost you? What has the gospel cost you? We're not just talking about subjective morality here. which the, We'll let the culture argue back and forth about subjective morality. We're not just arbitrarily picking on one sin to, to make ourselves feel better. If you're doing that, you need to repent. We're talking about the deep root of the gospel. And consequently, the deep root of human sin, which only Jesus can supplant and replace. In every culture in Christianity's history that the gospel has touched, you've had to risk becoming the pariah, the scum of that culture, in order to, be, to rightly represent Christ and to be redemptive within that culture rather than forgotten by redemptive history. Time's up for us. Do you know the price that our Christian brothers and sisters are paying in Muslim nations, to follow Jesus? Listen, they've decided that Jesus is worth it. What's your decision? Jesus' brother turned worshiper, James, says in James chapter 4, friendship with the world is enmity with God. In essence, it's enmity with the world too. Jesus himself said, ironically, unless you hate your brother and mother and father, you cannot be my disciple. Now, he's not talking about literally hating them. He's talking about comparative love. He's talking about who's really on the throne of your heart. I was having a conversation with my 10-year-old daughter months ago, and she was near tears when she asked me. She said, Daddy, how can someone call me hateful for believing what the Bible says? I reminded her that it's Jesus who said, blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness. Now, I had to clarify that uh, Jesus never issues a blessing for being persecuted for being a self-righteous jerk because there's a lot of that going on. But if 
You're being persecuted by our culture for honoring God. You are doing what's right for everyone. God, yourself, and others, even if they hate you. Far too many people are choosing the opposite. They're they're choosing to dishonor God in order to, to seem more loving to others. And to be quite honest, it's to avoid the judgment of the world, which, listen, it's harsh, but it's temporary. And then they die and face God's eternal judgment. This is a bad choice, and it's hurtful to others who need to hear the whole gospel. They don't need the, just the, the right-wing derivative. Your sin is disgusting, but really because I'm disgusted with myself, and so stay away from me. False gospel or the left-wing, let me celebrate your sin to feel better about mine. False gospel. They need to hear the whole gospel. That wait, Your sin's way worse than you think, but you're way more loved than you can ever imagine. So check out what Jesus did for you gospel. I want to tell you a story about one of my friends from out of the state, and let's call her Sarah. Sarah was in a three-decade legal partnership with Susan, her lover, and both were close to our family. Now, neither of them were into God because they were just normal. I mean, they, they chose their identity. They found their identity in the things of the earth, and they just hadn't considered God. Over the years, though, Sarah was becoming painfully aware that the liberties that she once celebrated were not delivering on the promises that they had given to her. She found herself in depression and wondering constantly, is there something else out there that this world's not offering? Now, in the middle of this, She was driving one day, and her radio station picked up the preaching of Chuck Smith, and she couldn't turn it off. Now, if you need an explanation for that, we'll have some theology classes later. God was drawing her through Chuck Smith's preaching, and she heard of Jesus and of sin and of salvation. And there's a strange peace that comes from the pain of hearing the whole gospel preached. Sarah felt Jesus drawing her, and so she started to buy these just boxes worth of sermon CDs from Chuck Smith. And that's where she was kind of in her stage of faith when I saw her at the funeral of a mutual friend. I heard what God was doing in her, and I got to rejoice and pray for her and encourage her to, to continue listening to her Savior. Then a few months later, we received a package from Sarah, and it contained all the sermon CDs of Chuck Smith and this lamenting note that said, Peter, I visited some Christian leaders, and I learned that apparently Christianity is not for me. And I was, I was so angry. For months, I was just seething with fury about all the self-righteous conservative jerks out there who would judge her and condemn her. Until a few months later, I received another letter. And in it, Sarah wrote, Peter, I've become a Christian. And she went on. She says, here's the story. A few months ago, I had visited some Christian leaders with my interest in Jesus. And I was told that God loved me the way I was. And I was misunderstood about him wanting to change and transformed me. Transform me. She says, I was misunderstood and misinterpreting scripture. She says, so I walked away 
ashamed of having hoped for a new life. And that's when I sent you the package. See, she didn't, how is she supposed to know that this is one of those churches that rejects the word of God and then goes on acting like they're still a church? She couldn't sort that out. But listen, she says, then Peter, a few weeks ago, I was right about to get rid of my Bible when I decided that I would read Romans 1 one last time. And I read it, and I decided then and there that the Bible is true and all of these so-called Christian leaders are false. And Sarah gave her life to Jesus. She placed her faith in him. She started walking in discipleship in a Calvary Chapel church, and her story is not over. The gospel has cost her and continues to cost her much because Jesus is better than everything the world has to offer. There's a terrible, hypocritical lie pervading our culture, threatening to pull a huge wave of professing Christians away into outright idolatry. We say to the world, here's the lie, we say to the world, come and see Jesus and receive new life and receive an out-of-this-world experience with something that's nothing like anyone else could claim. And it's going to cost you everything because it already costs Jesus everything. And it's way better than you can imagine, and he's worth it. Except, if in your sin struggle, you struggle with that sin, well, then this isn't for you. No, no transformation and metanoia for you. And why is that? Well, because I'm so loving and I'm so tolerant What a lie. This is hatred. It's cowardice. Listen, it's discrimination in the name of love. We have to ask the question, is the gospel really for everyone? Is the whole gospel for everyone? What if in our so-called tolerance and inclusion, we're holding people back from Jesus who wants to love them and embrace them and include them into new life, which is, listen, it's his life. He's the one who got up out of the grave, and he's the one who can offer us the keys to that. So listen, homosexuality is one of the sins playing out of this debased exchange, but be careful because if you don't see your sin on this list right now, your, your behaviors and mind habits and mindsets, then beware because you might be all over this. Verse 29, they were filled with all, again, all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are. Now, Paul switches to the present tense here in verse 29. Because this includes all people in all times. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient, disobedient to parents, Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to or take pleasure in those who practice them. We're all listed here. But don't think that sin is just, you know, something we can put a Band-Aid on without addressing the root. When we exchange the truth of God for a lie... We worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. With our confused minds, we tend to wrongly classify the creature. What we all have in common, all human beings, is that we tacitly have this this pattern, this habit, to 
get confused about our own identity. And this isn't just a sexual confusion. This is an identity confusion that all humans struggle with. I'll give you an example. It sounds like I am a Republican. I am a Democrat. I am a doctor, pastor, or or before anything else, I am a mother or father. Instead of saying, before anything else, I am his. And fundamentally, I am what he says I am. He's my creator and he's my redeemer. I am what the Bible says that I am. So the question has nothing to do with whether or not God accepts me the way I am or the way contextually I think I am, but it has everything to do with, do I accept God the way he is? I think I'm one way because of the whole debased mind thing that we described, and I'm not that. But God thinks he's God because he's God. And he has the right to define me, his creature, because he's God the creator. The question is, do I accept him? He made me. He defines me. He redeems me. But I'm in this weird place where I've made this exchange and I'm dying and dead. And listen to the turn. Don't miss what God's saying here. The same one who created me gave me over to myself. He's the one who can recreate me, redeem me. And don't miss this. Check out what God does in the gospel. If wrath is that we exchange good for evil and God gives us over to it, grace is the great reversal of that, that God gives Jesus over and Jesus enacts this new, beautiful exchange. Wrath is God giving us away to ourselves and our sin, but grace is God giving us over to, unrighteous, to, to righteousness in Jesus because Jesus was delivered up. Stephen said right before he died, Acts 2, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Check out what God says in John three sixteen. Lord, give us new eyes to see this. For God so loved the world. What world? The wrath-deserving, mind-debased, body-defiling world. God loves this world, yes. That he gave. Now check out this word, gave. It's the Greek word didymi. Same root as paradidymi and give over in Romans chapter 1. God so loved the world that he gave. He delivered over Jesus, his only son, that whoever, meaning whoever, regardless of how we wrongly define ourselves or how we falsely worship, whoever believes in him should not perish, suffer eternal wrath, but have eternal life. We exchanged God for idols, and God gave us over to that until God gave over his son to exchange everything back on the cross. He took God's wrath on his shoulders and suffered on the cross until he could say, it is finished. And then he rose again from the dead. And he's been going up to dead people with his, and touching them with his life and saying, you're mine, you're alive, you're mine, you're alive. Walk with me, follow me. It's a great adventure of new life. Would you stand to your feet with me?